Hi, I'm Victoria Starek-Sonalian, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on Geostrategy, a new foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is Geostrategy 360, our fortnightly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. Democracy is at risk in the Balkan countries. A political crisis in Bosnia, sporadic violence between Kosovo and Serbia, and political instability in Montenegro and North Macedonia, against a background of a stalled EU enlargement process, risk eroding years of progress made in the region. Bosnia is of particular concern. The country is experiencing its gravest political crisis since the end of the war in the 1990s, reviving fears of a new conflict after Bosnian Serbs at the end of July earlier this year blocked the work of the central government. The progress that was made in the region in the 2000s towards peaceful, prosperous and multi-ethnic states is being undone and the space is becoming open for destabilization. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Alicia Kearns, the Conservative MP for Rutland and Melton, who is also a member of the National Security Strategy Joint Committee and Foreign Affairs Committee, to discuss an important topic. Alicia, welcome to Geostrategy 360. Oh, thank you so much, Victoria, for having me and for all the work you've been doing. So Alicia, recently the Times published your article, Diplomacy is Needed to Prevent War in Bosnia, in which you stated that the integrity and stability of Bosnia and Herzegovina is under attack and that the prospect of a disintegration of Bosnia and armed conflict in particular is a real possibility. Christian Schmidt, also the UN High Representative for Bosnia-Herzegovina, earlier this month warned that the country faces the greatest existential threat of the post-war period. What is happening on the ground? So it's truly terrifying. So what's happening in Bosnia at the moment is that we're seeing the closest we've felt to conflict since the dating agreements were signed. The dating agreements were what brought in essentially the fragile stability that we have. Um, So in Bosnia, you have three different ethnic groups and you have a backdrop of the uh, only genocide that has taken place in Europe uh, since the Second World War and obviously uh, the Holocaust. And what we're seeing essentially is people exploiting tensions in order to achieve their overall strategic goals. So, for example, you've got Dodic, uh, who is the Bosnian Serb presidency leader. um, And he essentially is really fundamentally just trying to secure the goals of Slobodan Milosevic, so the greater uh, Serbia that he always wanted to achieve. Um, And so what you're seeing, unfortunately, is the rifts that already exist being exploited and pushed deeper and deeper and deeper um, as Dodic essentially undermines the very institutions that he was elected to represent and to protect. And we're seeing a real uh, essentially destruction of the kind of core institutions of Bosnia. So what do you think are the key reasons um, causing this instability? What are the factors that uh, allow Dodic to uh, pursue this policy? So I think there's a number of things allowing it. So first of all, we have to remember that Bosnia has never felt truly at peace. So I remember uh, being there in 2015. And I visited Srebrenica, which is obviously the memorial for all those who were murdered in the genocide. And while there, I remember some Serbian uh, boys driving past in a car at great speed and throwing bottles of, well, urine um, at the memorial site. Um, I remember a few days later being at the funeral um, of some of those whose remains had finally been found and put back together so that 
uh, survivors could bury their loved ones and people protesting at the funeral and saying that it wasn't a genocide and protesting against these fake funerals that they argued were taking place. And that was 2015 when there was so much optimism and hope that Bosnia was really going somewhere, that you know they had all these opportunities to join the EU, to join, the NATO, to join NATO, um, to really grow as a country. But what we've seen essentially since then, when obviously, as I saw, even from just my few days in country, that was obviously still rife in conflict and uh, so many problems. We've seen Dodic get increasingly determined uh, to essentially cede and take away Republika Srpska from the rest of Bosnia. Uh, and the kind of flashpoint, the thing that's really brought things to a head is that the last high representative, which is the UN uh, individual responsible for upholding the Dayton Agreement and the institutions of Bosnia, he brought in a Genocide Denial Act. And the point of that was that we continue to see day in, day out in Bosnia, people saying that there was no genocide at Srebrenica, that the 8,000 boys and girls were not murdered. Um, and it's worth noting that in terms of when we look at the genocide, the extent to which the Serbs went to hide uh, the genocide was that once the mass graves had been dug, they actually went in a few weeks after they dug the mass graves and filled them, and they took diggers and moved remains from one burial site to another to try and hide and obfuscate what they'd really done. So essentially in the lead up, to the Genocide Denial Act being brought in by the former high representative, you saw Dodge start to do what he likes to do quite often, which is that he he comes up with a cause that he's angry about and he marches the international community up a hill as high as he can, and then he comes back down. But what you see is that every time he comes down, he comes down a little less further. Um, so for example, on the 30th of May, he talked about the fact they don't accept uh, the high representative um, the high representative is not something they would accept. They see them only as a tourist. Uh, in July, they rejected the changes to the genocide law. Uh, on the 13th of August, uh, Dodic prevented the armed forces from using their helicopters to fight wildfires in the Bosnian part of the country. He's called for mutiny amongst Serbian members of the armed forces. Uh, he has threatened to pull Republika Srpska out of the army, the judiciary, the tax system. Um, and essentially what we're seeing is him trying to unravel key institutions. And he's even said that he's going to bring forward laws uh, to enable Republika Srpska and Serbs to pull out of these institutions. So as you can see, this is, as the high representative said, an existential threat um, to the continuation of Bosnia. Well, the region is certainly haunted by a bitter past of a quite recent conflict. But mm. I suppose when we read about the Balkans, we or quite often come across also um, a disillusionment with European ideals, also widespread corruption is an issue. To what extent do you think these reasons might affect the current instability? I think in Bosnia and across the Western Balkans, you see all sorts of issues like that. So absolutely, there are problems around corruption. Um, there's problems around media plurality and actually uh, the juvenile nature of the media in those countries. Um, but let's not forget, there's also all the external forces that actually you touched on, I think, in your previous question. So Russia and China are both busy pushing disinformation narratives into uh, Bosnia. Uh, you see a great number of narratives coming from those two countries, but also from within Serbia, uh, who is a key part in this, and also Republic of Srpska, that are constantly pushing divisive narratives, constantly trying to create that divide, that spark between the different ethnic communities within Bosnia, constantly pushing to try and destabilize. Because for Putin, destabilizing Bosnia would destabilize Europe, the Western, Western Europe's backyard. 
it would detract attention, particularly currently from what he's planning in Ukraine with the hundreds of thousands of people amassing on the Ukrainian border. Um, and for China, again, this is just about manipulating, stirring, trying to uh, essentially occupy the West and cause trouble within our near neighborhood. Um, so unfortunately, it's a, it's a really toxic state of affairs and absolutely underpinned by the daily visceral pain that is felt by so many. I remember meeting with the war widows uh, when I was in Bosnia, and that was heartbreaking. You know, these are women who's who had you know up to sixteen members of their family murdered in the genocide. Women who were systematically raped, um, which we never talk about enough, and women who still to this day are searching for the remains of their loved ones and who will never truly get justice. Um, so it really is a cauldron of, of pain, of conflict, and of actors trying to sow division, which is already ripe for it. Uh, you mentioned the influence of other actors, such as Russia and China. How uh, this influence can be dealt with? What can we do from our side um, to, to uh, make sure that it is minimized? So I think there are quite a number of things that we can do. So first of all, it's about making sure that we as Western governments are doing all we can to support programs in country through our foreign offices that support media plurality, uh, that support a strong judiciary, um, that support strong uh, civil society. Uh, because if you can have a more resilient uh, ecosystem, information ecosystem, you will have a stronger country. Um, so we should absolutely be looking at doing that. Uh, but it's also about making clear to Russia that we haven't taken our eye off the ball, because that is very much the perception within the region that perhaps the West have become distracted uh, from the Western Balkans. You have Russia going round to all the countries neighbouring, whether it's Albania, Croatia or others, saying to them, oh, you, you need to recognise that we're the ones you need to come to, because actually the West, they're leaning away. Um, you know, we're leaning in, you know, come to us. Um, so actually, it's about showing our partners in different countries that we haven't taken our eye off the ball. And that's part of the reason why I've arranged for Parliament to have a, a three hour debate about the integrity of uh, Bosnia and the importance of it. Um, it's about making sure that we stand behind the Dayton agreements. You know, that's what people in Bosnia need to see, that we stand behind the political institutions and organisations and institutions of statehood that were created. Um, so again, I've invited Christian Schmidt to come to the UK. Uh, I'm very pleased that he will be coming. Um, that's a really important step but also unfortunately we need to start planning ahead if the worst happens um so for example we have the u4 um uh commitment uh reinforced which is really good um so u4 is the organization which is based in a country uh, it's a 600 strong eu peacekeeping force responsible for maintaining a stable bosnia its mandate was renewed at the un security council a few weeks ago um, but again, interestingly, it was renewed, but with references to the high representative removed at the request of Russia and therefore the Serbs, um, because they are trying to undermine his uh, credibility in every single case. And Dodic is almost is absolutely Putin's uh, puppet. There's no there's no question about that. But it's really important that where Putin has identified institutions that he wishes to undermine with Dodic, such as the high representative, that we as the UK and others stand up and reinforce it. Um, but as I said, I was, I was looking at the kind of harsher end of things. So U4, that's good that its mandate was renewed. But one of the things I've called for, for example, is that we need to up the amount of UK staff at the NATO HQ in Sarajevo. Um, I would like to see us do joint exercises in the Balkans to show our strength. Um, and also I've, I've been successful in lobbying the government to put Bosnia and the situation there on the agenda at the ministers meeting, NATO ministers meeting on the 30th of November. Um, so there are a range of things that we can be doing now, but actually also there are more things we will need to do if the situation gets worse. 
I completely with, agree with you on the point that we certainly need to invest in diplomacy to prevent the need for the greater intervention, but should it become necessary, we should also not hesitate to act on time. But I also think that some European politicians, as quite often happens, may worry that a more robust response, um, such as sanctions or uh, widened NATO presence, might only serve to alienate um, uh, certain uh, politicians in, in the Western Balkans. How can we ensure that such fears are addressed? So I think it is absolutely the time for diplomacy. And the reason why I see my job as a parliamentarian to essentially raise the flare, to shout that there is something going on and that we need to be worried now and that we need to activate every lever we can that doesn't push us into a worse situation, but make sure that we've prepared for the worst possible situation and done everything we can to mitigate. So I'm hoping that by shouting and screaming about um, Mosia now, then in four to six months time, we won't be talking about it because we'll have been able to demonstrate that the West is still focused on this, demonstrate our resolve um, and demonstrate that the UK continues to stand by our unique duty that we have to Bosnia. And um, I don't think that um, if you were to take the Russian playbook, they would argue that exercises are not a sign of, a, of force or threat or attack. They would say that every organisation has the legitimate right to carry out exercises wherever they need to within their sphere of influence. Um, so I think what we can't allow is for those who are hostile to our um, to our objectives, which are peace and stability, to get away with doing things that they do. And then when we do them, somehow back away and run away scared because we shouldn't be doing the same as they do. Um, I have said we should look at sanctions. Obviously, there are um, US Treasury sanctions against Dodditch already. Um, we should be looking at those things, but they're not necessarily a priority for me at the moment. For me, it's about making sure we're doing all the diplomatic and military work um, around the scenes to try and mitigate any uh, further dissension into conflict. Um, well, the Balkans and Bosnia, of course, have been in the media for some time now, but recently the media and also policymakers have shifted their attention to the unfolding migrant crisis on the eastern border of, of NATO and the EU, as well as uh, military buildup next to Ukraine's border, which worries um, many key stakeholders here in the West. Do you think this has impacted our ability to monitor and react to any developments in the Balkans? I don't think it has, um, only because the way in which we operate as a foreign office is so uh, siloed. Uh, and also because we have a, the appropriate level of resource in every individual department to be able to focus on what's going on. I think what is key is that we make sure that as a government, we are sitting and looking at the bigger picture. So for example, as I mentioned earlier, the reason why we might see Putin wanting to see greater descent into conflict in Bosnia is to hide from the fact that he has intentions and aspirations in Ukraine. Uh, we have to look at the bigger picture about why certain countries are being targeted, uh, manner in which things are happening. And again, that key point about not ignoring neighbouring areas and neighbouring um, countries. Um, so we have to make sure that we have a regional point of view and that we keep our eye on the horizon. I, I'm confident that you know, we've seen the government move very fast um, since concerns are raised. And I think that's a sign that they are adequately equipped to be able to do so. In your view, Alicia, how do you think the situation will develop in the upcoming weeks? Uh, um, I think what I hope is very different from what necessarily might happen. Um, I am hoping that, as we've seen in the past, Dodic will walk down that hill. Um, and we'll stop trying to completely rip apart the Dayton agreements and uh, the institutions of Bosnia. 
I think and I hope that we will see an uplift uh, to NATO HQ Sarajevo. Um, I hope we will see a significant diplomatic effort. Um, one of the things I also secured was I asked for a minister to go to Bosnia for Armed Forces Day, um, and that has been secured, so a minister will be going. Um, I hope that we will see countries across Europe, and I, I spoke to some German uh, representatives of the German foreign ministries, of the Jordanians, of the Bahrainis, and a few others over the weekend, and I raised Bosnia. This is not an issue unique to the UK that we are concerned. Everyone is concerned. So if we can marshal that international focus and concern, if we can convene and come together and make clear that this is going to be something that we will act on, particularly post-Afghanistan, where people are questioning whether or not there is the, uh, whether people can be dependent on to support and maintain peace and security and stability. Um, obviously, post-German election, where the Germans were playing a key role in maintaining peace in Germany, um, uh, sorry, in Bosnia, I'm very much hoping that essentially we will convene, we will come together, we would use diplomacy, which is essentially words and speaking together and coming together in relationships, and that in six months' time, we won't be talking about there being an active feeling on the ground in Bosnia that conflict's about to erupt. Alicia, thank you so much for your time today and thank you so much for the important work you are doing and your effort to shed light on, on Bosnia and for it to remain uh, the focus uh, of our attention. Uh, this is Geostrategy 360, the Council on Geostrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. You can listen to Geostrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms and you can find all our podcasts on our website www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts.